Hello and welcome to the Civ Show podcast. We suck, so you don't have to. I'm your host, Moisas. And I'm Nystagmus. And Raising Zozo is AFK as he normally is during the first part of this uh, podcast. How are you, Nystagmus? How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. Vacation technically started today, so should probably try to uh, try to enjoy that over the next week or so. But uh... All right, dude. You're going to be playing lots of Civ, maybe? Gonna be practicing a lot this week for who you're gonna play. Hopefully, um, so I can actually like you know crank out a win. Uh, <laughs> eventually, didn't come last place every single time, so that's that's. You unfortunately came last place. I think last this time. time, yeah, last time. Yes, I did, yeah. but the time before uh, that didn't come in last place. So no, you didn't. Uh, and also, it's like you you did a lot better this game, even regardless. Like you were in la- yeah, you were in last place, but not by much. And so you're, 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 soon you'll be winning, and it'll all go downhill from there. And we're gonna we're gonna lose every game. <laughs> it's gonna be a disaster. Uh, we have a good show for you today, and uh, uh, I, I didn't really set this up with you, but like, hey, in the same, do you know what time it is? What time is it? <gasps> it's time for the news. Good enough. All right, <laughs> that was good. That was good. Just one bit of news here today. Uh, as I send out the tweet, because I forgot to send out a tweet. Fraxis Games tweeted out that Civilization 6 for PC and Mac, the multiplayer crossplay will be restored in the next game update, uh, when they will have more to share soon. So we don't know when that update is going to be. We don't know if it's going to be the July update that is going to come with the new Frontier Pass, or if there's an update in between with that so uh, in, uh, patch. In podcast fashion, the chat says I'm muted still. No. Yeah, yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> we got to keep that. It's it's an inside joke on the podcast that I start off muted um, most of the time. So, Wow, I'm glad someone's here, though, to tell us. Can you imagine? <laughs> Just you're on mute the whole time. I had no idea. Uh, that, Honest- that's happened before, I think. It's happened. I'm it's pretty happened, yeah. sure it's happened. Um, Amateur hour over here. Can you tell <laughs> that we haven't done this very often? So let's talk about last game. Last game, we had the Incans versus the Mayans versus the Mapuche. remind me Mapuche. yeah that's correct Mapuche. we played on a dual-sized map with three players and we played on pangea so almost immediately there is territorial boundaries between all of our civilizations mm-hmm. and so uh just kind of like a quick summary me and zo i played the incans zo played the Mapuche, or he played Mapuche. uh the people of the earth i think he called it as and the inca the children of the sun and we went to war very early, right when I got my unique unit, which is the, uh, it replaces the skirmisher, so the second scout. Okay. Uh, once I got the second scout, I went straight to war because I knew that was my advantage, and I didn't want him to get to his Melon Raiders, which is the era after. And so I'm like, if I need to go to war with him now, or if I need to go war with war with him, I need to do it now when I have an advantage. So I went to war with him. However, I didn't time it right, and I went to war with him at the same time I had a golden age, which I didn't plan. And so Mapuche has a plus 10 combat strength against enemies who are in a golden age. Like if you are in a golden age, he will do more yeah, damage to you. More damage. I don't know why, but um, that ended up being really costly for me because I couldn't kill his units. I couldn't kill a single one of his units. They were way too strong. Yeah, it's like a it's a plus 20% buff, right? For for a standard warrior, I think, to get plus 10, right? Yeah, early on, that's it's strong. Like, the fact that I went to war with him in the second era, right, 
where units are like 20 strength. Like, yeah, like you said, that's like a 50% buff right there. Oh, yeah, yeah. So it's a 50% for. buff. Yeah, so it is a lot better. Yeah. Yeah, it was... I don't know if you ever, like... You didn't go to war that game, did you? I did not. Played to the Mayans, you know, I was defensive. I, you know, uh, none of my, my special units are really all that great offensively. They're great within the territory that I'm in, defensively. Um, get, I get a buff for if a unit is wounded, and I get a buff for playing within six tiles of my capital. Um, and so, um, you know, going out and venturing out and attacking when, you know, probably wouldn't have been all that beneficial to me. The only thing I might probably would have done is killed my units. Although- Not necessarily, like they're not worse when they're outside. They're just better when they're inside. Yeah. Um, I was also slow to get them out. I was, I totally like, oh, I totally, yeah. I totally screwed that up. Like it was like my build order that, that, um, that game, it, you know why? Cause I'm not used to actually researching archery very early. I'm just not, I actually, what do you normally do, um, I normally, uh, do pottery first, depending on what's around my capital, but pottery or mining, depending on what's around the capital. Um, but I don't actually research a lot of military stuff early on. I actually build a few warriors and just actively seek out barbarian encampments and just eliminate them so i don't so that way i don't have to build archers to defend my cities i just i actually move my army out and actually seek them out um, so you've never played against somebody who will immediately build an early military like they'll beeline swordsmen they'll like totally ignore like campuses they'll totally ignore holy sites boats whatever they just go straight to swordsmen straight to horsemen and they'll attack you like turn 20 and they have like an army and you're like oh my god <laughs> and you need to be prepared for that so that's why i usually research archery pretty early because the archers are the greatest defensive unit because they can just sit in your in your city in your city right? yeah. and they never die and they just keep shooting and keep shooting and, and we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves right we're gonna wait for the second half to talk about early build orders and stuff too but right right we'll we'll, we'll get there but, but yeah like, yeah but I, I didn't enter the war i probably should have i know i talked smack beforehand and said we probably should gang up on you and, and crush you or something like that um, i 100 percent thought you're gonna come to war with me like i was i was ready for it in a way because i'm like okay he might send units to my north because you were on my north side right north northwest and then uh, Zozo was on my east. It's complete opposite sides of my country. But I had units ready for you, right? I had units specifically, I think I just had some archers in case your archers came. And then I specifically had like spearmen and pikemen over at his army because mm. I knew he had probably horsemen. So I kind of was like, okay, if I, if it comes from both sides, like I'm, I'm ready and you didn't do it. And I don't know like what caused you to not do it. I don't know if you were just kind of like, no, I'm just gonna focus on me. We kind of chat about this like after the game, like not on the actual stream, but like you know throughout the week. Um, and we we you know talking about the dynamics of a three player game where um, if it's like both of us attack you. I know I talk smack and stuff like that, but um, I definitely don't like. Uh, um, I def I do think if I did, like, it probably would have damaged you almost beyond repair but i mean that's that's just civ that's fine, i know i know right? I, that's the cost of me going to war is that somebody can attack me right it's it's my it's my job and my responsibility to make sure i don't if i were to go to war i don't send my entire military i have there is there's a little there's a little space in the back of my head too that i didn't if i were to win that game i didn't want it to be tainted by the fact that it took me and zoe to gang up on you and basically crush you and then i was able to win and then be like, well, you only won because you and Zola ganged up on me. And 
I mean, it kind of happened anyway. So, <laughs> you, so if, in case you missed it, uh, at the end of the game, Zoe won a diplomatic victory. Gross, I know. Diplomatic victory. Yeah, I, I, kind, I kind of made that happen. I was playing for that because I was tired. And was <laughs> right, yes. I don't, honestly, I don't blame you. So, uh, yeah, Nisangwis was tired. He's tried to, he tried to guess what Zoe would vote for and voted for the same things to make sure he got... The votes. He also voted at the end to make to make it where he got two yeah. diplomatic victory and I, points. And I knew and that, that was going to push him Yeah, that was because he had the most. He had the other. He had the second. Uh, he had the most diplomatic favor. And so if me, if I voted for that, he obviously would vote for that to give it to himself. I don't see why he would vote for anyone else. I was like, yeah, he's going to go for the diplomatic victory right now. Like, he, if he doesn't understand that he has nineteen diplomatic points out of twenty, <laughs> then he doesn't deserve to win the game. And so <laughs> I didn't know that. I had no idea. Yeah, I was, I was, I was paying attention to that. I was like, oh, he's probably going to grind out a, a diplomatic victory, um, or a cultural victory. That was the other thing that was probably going to happen. That he was so far away from a cultural victory, and he didn't have any rock bands, even though he could have. And so that's what made me think he wasn't going for a culture victory, even so, or either that, or maybe he wasn't just going and rock band. My route. other route was just going to go. I was actually teching to to again nuclear devices and um just basically declare war on both of you and just like start nuking <laughs> things that was basically my plan um but then i found out when i researched the technology to see where uranium was it was only on like one part of the of the continent and i didn't have it yeah man maybe for dual dual size maps maybe we just do abundant resources just to kind of like make it even as even as possible like like have them everywhere it's so weird like you, there are so many horses, right? Like tons yeah. of them. They're like everywhere. Oh, yeah. um, there's barely any niter. There's barely any coal. There's there's a lot of oil actually. There was like quite a bit of oil. Like when I, I didn't have any oil. When I researched refining, like I saw like there was like four patches in my in my territory. Must be nice. But, but uranium, <laughs> I think there was like one resource on the entire planet. That's kind of dumb, if you ask me. That's I mean, it's unfair, I guess. It's like whoever controls that uranium is going to win. Yeah, because then they can just build nuclear devices and no one can ever retaliate against them. But I guess that would be like the the objective, I guess. It's like when somebody builds a city on this uranium, you need to take that city. And so like that's in a sense of like we're going to war because I need this city to make sure that it doesn't get used against me. So like maybe it, it has and a sense of there. And I think the game sometimes just gives you uranium because I ended up with 10 uranium for like randomly. I didn't even have any. If a city state has it and they're mining it, that's how you can get it that way. Um, that might have happened or you settled on top of one and you didn't know. But I wasn't making any per turn. Like oh. When I got to the oh. atomic era, it just gave me 10 uranium. Really? Yeah. I think maybe I did you pick did you, the last one. When I say the last one, the, um, when you pick your era bonus, right? The last one, if you get a golden age, it gives you a giant death robot and it gives you uranium. So maybe that, but what if the normal age, I don't know if this is true, but what if the normal age is just uranium? Possibly. It or maybe I, maybe one of my great scientists gave it to me. I don't know. I can't remember. Oh, I, I wasn't paying attention, you. to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a weird game, though. Like, like after that war, after the initial war, uh, obviously, we both had piece i don't think he could have advanced on me i think i would have defended it very well i definitely couldn't advance on him After i was surprised that, i was surprised neither of you declared war on me to be honest i kind of lagged behind i could have you were at like 300 and i was at a thousand but like at that point i'm like whatever right um realistically if it wasn't one in the morning i probably would have declared war on zoe and like annihilated him but i was too tired and i was like you know what 
whoever just gets his space first wins, and then he won a diplomatic victory. It's like, ah, oh, I forgot about that one. <laughs> and that's how we won. I, don't, I hate diplomatic victories. It is my, like, I would rather a religious victory over a diplomatic victory. I, I think diplomatic victories are, like, the scummiest way to win. It, maybe not, but it's, it's definitely the most difficult because you need to have, how do you vote always in favor? Like, how do you always know what's going to be in favor? It, that's why, like, you, when you're chatting with the other players, you kind of get a feel for, like, what their objectives are and what they're going to yeah. do. And, um, you know, I I basically chose right, like, on every single subject that last time, right? Like, I and one of them I just randomly guessed, to be honest. Um, and so sometimes it's guesswork. Sometimes it's knowing that the how the player plays. Like, for example, um, I know that Zoe will go for almost anything that gives him gold. I know, right? minus fifty percent gold in units every yeah, time. Like yeah, he's yeah. Al- he's always gonna vote for that. Like always. Like it's like that thing from The Simpsons. Like poor predictable Bart always picks rock. Um, <laughs> and, and he's like he's like good old gold. Nothing beats that. <laughs> he's just like wants to play with yeah. it. Yeah, honestly, like maybe we should punish him for always picking that. Just always pick this some like the opposite. Like always pick the opposite. Like vote. 50% minus 50%, but vote for literally anything else and like make them lose every time. That might take some coordination on our part. Yeah. Cause I'm trying to get diplomatic points too. Right. And then it got, it got really weird. Cause I wasn't making a whole lot of diplomatic favor. Cause I was like, you guys are getting like cesarean of those like two city States. And I was like, not even in the running for that at all. Um, and so I barely got any diplomatic favor. Um, and so I was basically a non issue. Um, the only reason why I became an issue at the end was I stopped voting through with all my votes for a lot of the world congresses and i started saving it up i tend to do that too i'll have like one vote like one initiative and i'll put all of my votes in there and i'll vote for one for like the rest of them yeah. <laughs> and i think maybe i should get out of that habit because i think that's partly of what made me lose um because even the one i dumped all my votes in i would lose in and then i would definitely lose in the other ones i think that's what partly made me lost and then also uh, he built everything that gave him diplomatic points. So he built the Statue of Liberty, which gives mm-hmm. you four points. He built uh, some sort of temple. I can't remember what it's called. That gives you, I think, two diplomatic points. I remember the Statue of Liberty gives you four, uh, four diplomatic um, like victory points. Yeah. Too. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he built those two, which was like I wasn't paying attention to. And that's my fault. Like it was just uh, I'm so mad. Like, I'm mad that I lost to a gosh dang diplomatic victory i never want that to happen again did didn't you I, win uh, i thought you won by diplomatic victory one time too i did and it was complete yeah. complete accident and i think that's kind of what happened to him too it was like it will it starts as an accident like i didn't build any wonders for it i don't No, i might have built the statue of liberty because i took it away from him that might have been that game yeah i think that's what i was what like happened, i'm just yeah. gonna build it for the meme right yeah so i i unintentionally did it whereas i think he purposefully did it the mahu mahabadi temple that's okay. that's the one that gives you two two diplomatic points so you can get six diplomatic points from wonders which is i guess pretty good and then um the i think the most common victory type we have in our games is usually culture is like a pretty popular one i don't think anyone's actually gotten a scientific victory uh yes i did with kree you did yes you got all I way remember, I was, you like launched the yeah, I was pushing. I was pushing the things with my lasers. Yeah, I think you guys were kind of letting me do it too. I, it, was, it was like late, and that was like the the closest victory path. So you got yeah, like none of you declared war on me, and I was like, yeah, I just let it happen. <laughs> oh yeah, I think and I remember so, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no one's won a domination victory yet, but that that's kind of no. weird in a third in a 
Because as soon as you take over one person, I'm assuming that the other person is going to be like, yeah, I don't think I could beat you. Well, um, what you can do is you can just kind of like set up an army around the capital of both and just take over both the cities at once. And like that's your domination victory, right? Well, yeah, you're the one who said that we can, you could probably declare war on two people at once when they're like distracted. Like, so I would like wait for you and uh, Zoe to be arguing about some, you know, weird thing and then i just suddenly declare war on you because we're on dynamic turns and take that first turn of the war right away nuke both the capitals take them yeah man that's a strategy i honestly can't wait to see it <laughs> although you would have to you, you would have to see me massing my armies on like on the on both your borders you would, that would be like a tell right not e so i don't know if you know this but you can only borders like land borders only see one tile out so you can hide your units two tiles out and they have no idea. And then the person has no idea. Oh. I did that a lot with like religious uh, people. I, I used to do it uh, on our old show. I I, I did it. I, and I almost won with a religious victory by just swarming his his land with religious units all of a sudden. He had no idea. But then I miscalculated and I didn't get enough religion. I was like, no. Well, <laughs> unless they also put their military because their line of sight might be more than the one tile out, right? So yeah, yeah. So units have, I think, two, and then maybe, yeah, two tiles. And then if they have, like, a upgrade, like a scout has a plus sight range, it's three. Uh, I think boats have, like, larger yeah, they do. Uh, in the water anyway, because yeah. water is just flat as hell. So I understand that. Um, but, yeah, just, like, hide, you can hide your units so easily. And especially if you hide, like, a tank or you hide uh, some sort of um, cavalry, yeah. it's super easy to just Lots kind of, of swoop in there. Oh, yeah. Let's take a small break here. And when we come back, we're going to be ranking the civilizations that we played last week. It is the Inca. We're going to rank Inca. We're going to re-rank Maya. And we're also going to rank um, Mapuche. I keep forgetting Mapuche. We're also going to be ranking <laughs> Mapuche. Uh, don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Civ Show podcast, podcast about everything civilization. You, we suck, so you don't have to. You're welcome. Uh, we're going to be ranking the civilizations that we played last week, Inca, Mapuche, and the Mayans. Why don't, uh, if I don't know if you're ready to go, if like you, you have an idea. Yeah, I have a pretty decent idea with the Mayans. Um, and, and really, I don't really want to move them all that much anyway. Um, I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure A tier is a pretty decent spot i was wondering whether or not they'd be better in more of a b tier and the main reason why again it's all about criteria right for you know what do you think in s tier b tier a tier and it's all about paths to victory right so like they survive early game very easily just because of their their bonuses but they effectively aren't they have a they're encumbered on a domination victory usually mainly because of their their penalty for if, if you're going to do a domination victory, you have to raise cities as you go. Or, or you know, it just might be more difficult to maintain the cities that you capture. Um, and so sometimes with a domination victory, it may be more difficult for them to kind of pull that off just because they get a penalty to their yields um, when they're outside of that six, um, that six tile range of the capital. I mean, it's still better than 0%. Right, having a city outside the six tiles is still better than a zero percent yield. Well, what I mean is in relation to your opponents, right? So it's almost like saying, okay, yes, like, yes, it's almost yes, like saying, yes. hey, 
I can lift 200 pounds, but my opponent can lift 300 pounds. Well, at least I'm not able to only lift zero pounds, but I'm still at a disadvantage because I can't lift as much. Yes, but I feel like if, if you're in a domination victory path and you're rolling like that, I don't think that's your biggest concern. I know, but it's still something that they clearly want the civilization to carve out a swath of land and kind of hang out there. Like they've clearly yeah, designed yeah. it to be a defensive civilization where you hang out in your your radius around the capital and kind of just stick around there, right? And then their special building, the observatory, and how you build its uh, the bonuses with it um, really gears towards kind of sitting down and either moving towards a culture victory or an or a science victory, right? Like that's like their their strengths, right? That's how I saw it. You can grow your cities big, right? Because of um, a lot of the uh, the benefits you get from um, from housing and yields from like the farms and stuff. So you're going to lots of farms. And so your, your cities grow really big and you want them in really close proximity actually. And I didn't find the limit on the tiles to be all that cumbersome actually. Um, it's actually quite a pretty big range, right? Uh, of, of area that you can have, right? That, that doesn't crowd the cities out all that much. Um, and so, uh, I would, I'm kind of like between them being between the B and A tier just because, their unique unit is really ready at the beginning. First thing, right? You you research archery, and then it's done after that, and it's useless. So it's really only useful for the for the early game, um, and then the bonuses you get for combat in your territory within the capital really lean heavily on. You really shouldn't leave your capital. Just hang out, man, because you're gonna get your defensive combat bonuses and um, um, and your yield bonuses for cities within within that city because. There's a big difference, you're right, it's not 0%, right? But there's a big difference between 85% of what a normal yield would be and 110% of what a normal yield would be. Um, and so yeah, there's a huge incentive to maintain. And again, you can have up to 12 cities in that range um, comfortably. And as soon as you expand past 12 cities, you're getting kind of pretty big there anyway, right? So it's really geared towards carve out your area, stay in that area, and move towards another victory that allows you to stay stationary without doing much else. So, so you ranked them at B? Like you brought them down? Is that correct? I'm not. I'm not fully there yet. I, I, I think at the end I also wanted to ask Zoe what he thought when he's with the play again because he's the other player who played them. I, th I think he's pretty strongly on the on them being A. Uh, really on A because I'm kind of like their low A, high B tier, um, kind of thing. Um, and so I'm not right, right there to move them down into B tier, but I can see I can definitely see how someone can make that argument. Um, and I know I'm kind of it's me is it's one of the new sibs, and the, all the new sibs so far have been really strong. And so maybe I'm maybe I'm just a little bit sour about my about my loss. I don't know, but <laughs> um, uh, but that's how I kind of felt about it. Definitely didn't have enough information to move them up into S tier. But I definitely think A tier is a good, comfortable spot for them. Um, but I think that B tier would be justifiable um, in certain situations, okay. especially after after like the um, medieval era. Um, their their advantages kind of just kind of peter out completely. Well, they still have like the the plus yields, right? Which is still pretty big. But yeah, their unit is gone. Um, what's their infrastructure again? Uh, oh, the observatory. Yeah, that's right. the observatory. That's still that's still a, like that's still relevant it, but it becomes much less relevant um the only thing that's good about the observatory or not, not the only thing but the really good thing about the observatory is because even though you get the bonuses with the plantations um and the farms you don't get any bonuses for anything else 
right? So you don't get bonuses for mountains or like anything like that. So it really forces you to build other infrastructure around it in order to get the bonuses as opposed to just plunking it right next to a mountain and get plus three. Instead, you have to build like, you know, in order to get plus three, you have to build six farms around it, right? Or three plantations, right? So that's not always available to you. So in the early game, it helps Is, a lot. Doesn't a plantation give you plus two? Oh yeah, it does. Yeah, it gives you plus two. Sorry, so two, so two plantations. I highly doubt you've ever found a place where you could put three plantation next to it. Bananas. If you if you get a jungle and you have a bunch of bananas, then you're in luck, man. <laughs> but but position so position so they would all be adjacent to the observatory though. That would be kind of weird. Uh, it's it, it's it's rare, but it is. I have seen it. It is possible. There's even a, an achievement, uh, from Maya, to settle your city next to four luxury resources. So if that's an achievement in the game, I would imagine in some sort of ideal world, it is possible that there are three or four or more plantations around an observatory. There's even screenshots of a person putting like a, a regular campus in the in. It's literally surrounded by mountains like the it's just a hole in the middle of the mountains. <laughs> and a guy put in a, a, a campus right there. <laughs> There's pictures of that. So like. It is. It's possible. It's yeah, and I just possible. go by not only just possible, but what's common, right? So you may not, even though it's possible, it may not happen a lot, right? It's pretty rare, um, and so that's the other kind of kind of knock against them later on as time goes on because it just becomes less relevant. For me, I I just struggled with with them initially because you don't get that housing bonus for like the fresh water. Um, just focusing a lot on housing. I, I had cities that had like. Like, you know, 15 out of eight housing or something like that. Whoa. Yeah, it happened. And it happened because of like a natural disaster destroys like all my farms. And because you don't get the bonus that's built into where the city's at, you have to maintain the infrastructure around the cities. And if it gets hurt, especially in apocalypse mode, man, I, honestly, I think if we played in non-apocalypse mode, I would have a way better time with it because I had to yeah, keep on repairing crap. I don't want apocalypse mode. I'm, I, got, I, don't, I don't want that again. I, I want to take a break from apocalypse. I just want like a regular game where I don't have to worry about these hurricanes and tornadoes and dust storms and sandstorms and everything that possibly can go wrong. I just want a regular game. And so I think next week we're, we're not going to pick apocalypse mode. Spoiler alert. Not really, though. That that was the thing. I was I was always like I was spending so much of my time rebuilding my housing because and and aqueducts get damaged as well, um, and so that was hurting me too. Um, and so it, it would get a lot easier once I can build neighborhoods, but those can get damaged as well, and that can like completely stop your city from growing because of that. And so I was just dealing with it like all the time. That's rich coming for me because I'm the one who started like a dust storm in the early part of the game and like crushed your city. But dude, twice, twice. <laughs> it was terrible. And then you oh dust stormed yourself, which was awesome. I, I did. thought that was hilarious. I did. The game was already over at that point though. And so it was kind of like me being like, oh, let's see if I can do it in Astagmus now, just because he did it to me, the little shithead. And then it hit me again. I was like, oh man. <laughs> uh so let's move on to Inca. Um so Inca they're fun. They're a very, very fun civilization. Um, even afterwards, I finally got that city next to some mountains up north in the middle of the map. And that was a really good city. I had a bunch of domestic trade routes from there. So how it works, if you have mountains in the origin of the trade route, then it generates more food. 
uh, per turn for the for the trade route. And so I had a ton of trade routes coming or starting where the mountains were and going out. And that was one of my biggest cities, obviously, because I had a ton of trade routes coming out of it. That and the fact that they can even work mountain tiles is really fun. Um, unfortunately, for last week, I had zero mountain tiles. So, you know, game spawned, absolutely nothing. I, I see Tundra, and I'm like, why do I always spawn next to Tundra? First was my first thought. And then my second thought was, there are absolutely no mountains around me, and I'm playing Inca. So it completely negates, you know, working those mountain tiles for two production, all of your terrace farms that you should be surrounding mountains to get more food from the mountains, the improvement to move through mountains. So I think in an ideal scenario, or maybe in a single player game, when you play like a standard size map, you know, Inca will be surrounded by mountains. I watched someone the other day, it was Foibles, uh, he, he's on Twitch as well, I watched him play Inca right before we played, and he was surrounded by mountains, it was insane how many mountains this guy had, I'm like, wow, look at, look at, the, look at the odds that you can spawn your mountains when you play Inca, it's really good, like, oh, I'm gonna have so much fun this, this, this session, it's gonna be so, so great, nope, not a single mountain, it was only, I don't know how many mountains were in the game, uh, I think there was there probably weren't like a lot. four, there weren't a lot, five. yeah, <laughs> I had one of them. Oh, yeah, there's not a lot. Not like not like the um, Inland Sea one where we had like a mountain range that was like right. blocking off like half the map. <laughs> yeah, I was dreaming of that, man. I was like, man, like we just played this game with, with a huge mountain range. Like, this is going to be so good. It's almost a guarantee. No, it's not. So it's kind of tough to rank these guys when uh, the ideal path wasn't there. But maybe that's part of the ranking scheme in this case where you need to consider if a civilization is so dependent on being placed next to something. For example, if you play Inca and you don't spawn near mountains, or if you play Indonesia and you don't spawn near a coast, right? I don't know why that would happen, but you know what I mean? Yeah. You have to kind of consider these of like, what if it doesn't happen? Do the Inca not have like a, um, a spawn bias at all? Like, because I know they Russia, do. Russia is supposed to spawn near Tundra, right? Yeah, tundra, same with, yeah so same it's with, Canada. Same with Canada, right. yeah. Every Civ every has, a, has a bias. But I think one being, it being a dual map and th having three people all kind of screwed it up a little bit. I probably would have spawned where you were because I think you had a decent amount of mountains where you were. Um, it was okay. It wasn't nothing, but it was, it was okay. Yeah, right. And so I think they, part of it was that was screwing it up. So it didn't know, it kind of know where to place me because you have a bias as well. And then so does Zoe. He has mm -hmm. a bias. And, you know, it's kind of like trying to match all three of them and place all three of them. I, I did notice when I played, when I started practice games with Inca, and I, I, I also played against Mapuche and I also played against Maya, I also didn't spawn your mountains pretty much every time. I, I maybe restarted the game three or four times, didn't spawn near mountains. And I thought, wow, what a fluke. No, maybe it's not a fluke. I have no idea. Um, so their unique unit replaces the Skirmisher. It also attacks twice. Very, very strong attack, super weak defense. It has, I'm going to totally guess here, of 35 strength, 35 range strength, and probably like 15 melee strength. So 
you know, when you attack twice, it does a ton of damage. Like it's devastating. I, I was I was hitting Zoe really, really, really hard. And then he hit me once and he instantly died. And I was like, wow, these guys are really, really weak. And it makes sense. They're scouts, right? They're recon units. They're not meant to beat fight. Now, granted, you were also attacking Zoe when he had his like advantage, right? So like yeah, that yeah, was part of it as too. well. So Maybe it would be a little bit hardier if you didn't attack him during a golden age. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was my fault. I uh, know, I know. That's, you know, I can't win them all. And that was my biggest mistake for sure is attacking during my golden age. Um, but whatever, game game moves on, life moves on. You know, I nobody, nobody lost the city. Uh, nobody, like, I would say he won the war, but uh, I didn't lose it by that much like he didn't take anything from me he didn't really pillage anything from me either he pillaged one thing that was not even close to our border he wrapped around the entire map he went he was southeast he went to the northmost side of the map and then back down to me which was near the middle that maybe took him 15 turns to travel and he pillaged my campus and then left and that was it that was the whole thing for his pillaging and i'm like you went all the way around for this um, but he got like a hundred science out of it. So that was really good. I've learned that pillaging is really strong. That's another topic that we could, we could talk about later. Back to the Incans though, you know, their dependency on, on mountains and mountains not being a super common thing. That sucks. Their unique unit being a recon unit. That kind of sucks. It is a strong unit, but if it gets hit, it almost dies instantly. And it's upgrades are not the best. With an archer, you know, right away you get like plus five or plus seven to land units. With a, with a recon unit, you can now move faster through trees. And so like that's kind of cool, but at the same time, it's not. Because now you don't do more damage like an archer would. And having a high level isn't really worth it. The only time it's worth to level it is when you finally get to the plus 20 combat strength in all situations then recon units are incredible <laughs> but it's super yeah. hard to get to and i think it also matters like um for your recon unit how many like barbarians there are around that you can kind of um, you know steal experience from to upgrade you can only get really level one from barbarians though then you only get one xp and like it takes just forever and so it's not worth it city states are good to attack though for that and probably just even cpus in general because they're not as smart as humans, they'll like try to run away from a battle instead of just fighting it head on. And so it's easy to just kind of pick away, pick away, pick away. Um, anyway, given all that, they're fun to play. I would 100% play them again. They're kind of my style of Civ, but because of all these dependencies and their unit not being that great and even just like their bonuses not being that great, I guess, um, despite how fun they are, I would have to rank them in the C tier um, they're better than Kemir, for sure better than Kemir. I don't think they're a rank up there, although as Brazil or Persia or anything like that. So I think they fit, I think they fit well in the C tier as well. But in terms of entertainment, I give them an A. In terms of how good they are, I give them a C. I, I think like it, for me, just the dependence on like particular terrain is a huge liability. If like the difference between the, the civilization doing really well and doing really bad is because you're not near mountains, that kind of sucks. Especially since from your experience when you were playing the game against the computers, it seemed like even though there was a spawn bias, it wasn't doing a great job of <laughs> like trying to, to, to do that. So you're right. I think honestly, I think it's the bug with us like trying to, you know, play three players on a dual map. It's probably just messing it up like that. That's why.
Yeah, but I, I still prefer the dual map. Like, I, I like it. Like, I like that, you know, there's conflict. There's immediately, like, okay, I can't go anywhere anymore. So I need to do something. I need to go to war, or I need to threaten somebody, or I need to expand somewhere else that nobody sees. I like that, right? It, it brings this drama. It brings this excitement that, like, okay, I am forced to do something. I have to do something. And you prepare for it, and then you get excited about it, right? I like that. I really like the dual size map. I don't know how you feel about it though. Um, I like it. Like, uh, I definitely enjoy it better than like the map's way too big because I hate when I don't meet you guys right away. Because then I have I just have nothing to gauge by my my uh, my progress. When I played, you know, when we played on the islands and I was like Grand Columbia, um, I didn't meet like you until like the medieval era. Very almost. late. Very late. Yeah. Better to come in contact just because at least. You don't have to like, because obviously if someone is doing pretty good recon on you and there's a lot of room and you're only playing with three players, they can see your armies mobilizing. It's hard to do surprise stuff um, in that in that case. And so, and also there's a more fight for resources and stuff. If everyone just has like a ton of area, then they there's no, hey, I have to get to this area to get the niter or um, this area to get iron or something like that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I've been enjoying the dual maps better. So, uh, Zoe's still not here, however, we're at Mapuche now, and so, mm-hmm. I don't know if you have any experience playing them, I have zero experience playing them, I don't even know if I can rank them. I don't have any experience playing them at the moment. Yeah, like, I don't, I've never, I played against them, like, I went one-on-one to war with him, that was kind of cool, I, maybe I can, okay, I'll do my best, how about that, we'll do our best, and then when he gets here, he can adjust. Um, so, Mapuche from, if I'm not mistaken, they get the plus 10 combat strength when they have a, uh, when, when the opponent has a golden age, they have the Chen Mall, the Ken Mall, which is a giant head, which gives you plus culture, 75% of the appeals of, of, the, uh, of the tile appeal, 75% of it turns to culture. So if it has four appeal, you get three. And you have to build it on a minimum of four appeal. It's breathtaking. Yeah. So, I don't think that's that great of a tile, like of a tile improvement. Like you get three or four, or I don't even think you can get five. You get three or four culture, and like that's it. It, Sure, it turns maybe your desert tiles or tundra tiles into good tiles, but when you can build like a farm or a mine, it's not that good. I don't think it's that good. I just don't think that you have a huge opportunity to build it a lot, right? Like, yeah, I don't really, I never really thought it was that impressive, to be honest, as a tile improvement. Now, Zoe will totally say oh, it's the other opposite end. Oh, this tile is great. You know, it gives you three culture, three culture. Oh, my goodness. Like, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't seem like that good of a tile. The, the, the Raiders, if you go to war with Mapuche, or if Mapuche goes to war just for the sake of pillaging your land, those Raiders can just do so much damage. Um, I played a game today, actually, and this is where I found out how good pillaging is. So pillaging costs normally three movement, right? So you can do it with like a horseman and a general once, maybe twice. You know, if you're playing Grand Columbia with seven movement on his horseman, you can <laughs> you could pillage, move, pillage. It's incredible. It gives you a lot of science and a lot of gold and a lot of faith, depending on what you 
you pillage. And if you pillage a farm, it gives you 50 health, which is no joke. That is that is a lot. It's a whole unit promotion of health, right? It's a free unit promotion, and then you and then you can get a unit promotion after that. It's 50 more health, and you pillage another farm. It's 50 more health, and that unit can become unkillable. I've definitely learned that pillaging is really good. So if these raiders came to your land and just pillaged all of your campuses, all of your districts, like your 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 uh, what do you call it? Uh, commercial hubs, your industrial zones, your uh, holy sites. They, like Mpuchi can just accumulate this massive amount of science and a massive amount of gold just by going to war with you. And so that I think is a very good unit in its own rights, but you have to use it right. So it, it's not necessarily stronger than anything else. I think it's a, it's as strong as a musketman. Yeah, which is still pretty decent. It's like a musketman that, like you know, has a lot of movement, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, uh, Vector Cat says that um, thinks that's similar to China, so maybe Zoe might make this argument when he shows up. Um, that uh, B tier for an experienced player that takes advantage of all their bonuses. D tier if you don't focus on how to play them. Right. So I I was gonna rank them C tier actually. So uh, that's kind of in between. The, what you said so yeah b tier if you know what you're doing and d tier if you don't i just think uh, i think the dependencies on the other player make it not b tier i don't know i guess b tier is not like amazing right b tier is like average yeah right like s a b yeah okay i mean okay uh it's just like you know Sometimes players never get in a golden age, so you never get that advantage and you have Sometimes. to know that there are there are units that that thing that can pillage you know, because of the leader ability, the the city loses loyalty. Oh, right. I need to look up what, if you don't have full loyalty, what that really means. Like, does it really reduce your yield? Maybe we'll, we'll look that up in the third uh, section here. But I, I, I don't know. If they're about to move into rebellion, it does affect your yields. They'll stop working almost completely. Yeah, if, if it's that low. Like, that's low, though. If, if you lose 50 loyalty, halfway point, what's it at there if you lose only 25 loyalty what's it at there if you lose when they pillage when you lose five what's it at there i guess you can argue that they can pillage more than one thing at a time yeah i think once the loyalty is lower than 20 i think that's when the city stops really working that's a long way away but if you pillage like everything around it right that's true that's true if if you if you purposefully target somebody that you know worked their tiles like oh, oh you know what this is this is really good against players who you know they get that classical era golden age and they have faith and they build a ton of builders and then, you have to remember, and then it's in addition to the in. it's in addition to the other thing which is if you kill an enemy unit within the board border of the mm -hmm. city it loses 20 loyalty 20 yeah yeah i mean okay I'm, I'm gonna rank them high c tier with the chance obviously for zoe to uh re-rank them if he, if he even comes by the time we're done uh, at this point, because <laughs> we're almost done here. We're going into our third section. Uh, so I'm going to rank them high C tier, and that's going to pretty much be it for this section. So like we're going to take a small break again. Uh, if Zoe comes back, we'll revisit this, but we're going to take a break again. We're going to be talking about starting build orders, what, you, what we do uh, right when we start the game, what we look for, and also we're going to be revealing who we, we will, who we will be playing next week and the theme for next week 
uh, right at the end of the show. So stay tuned for that. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. Welcome back to the Civ Show podcast. We suck. So you don't have to. <laughs> I'm just going to say it in a different way every single time. I'm going to try to. Uh, so we're going to be talking about starting build orders. So we got a question in from our Discord today. And there was a little bit of a discussion in, in, in how do I start a game of civilization? What do I look for? And like, why, am I, why am I losing, essentially? Um, so let's get a bit into that. Nystagmus, what's the first thing you do right on turn one? So um, right on turn one, there are two main things I look for is uh, looking around my surrounding area for like the best place to settle my very first city. Now, in general, it's very rare that I move the settler too often, right, to, to settle the first city. When I was the Mayans, that changed because I spawned near the coast for some reason. Um, so I did I did use a couple turns to move inland to try to get the full bonus for my, my yields. Um, but generally speaking, I sometimes move the settler maybe one over or, or something like that to get like a better place on the river that I'm spawning next to or um, closer to a luxury resource that I, I spot. And the way I do that is I look at where my warrior is and I try to strategize where can I move the warrior where I can get the most line of sight around the settler so I can see if there's any yeah, luxury. Yeah, like up a hill or yeah. like, yeah. Um, and yeah. so if there if there's like luxury resources around there that I can see so I can move the settler closer to them that can eventually envelop the city to get that. So that's my very first set is deciding where, where my warrior is going to go because I actually don't do automated exploring until like much later on. I actually manually explore um, for a, for the first 20 to 30 turns easily. Um, oh, I do it the whole time. <laughs> oh, I, I, at some point when it gets like to a point where I've gotten like a few cities settled and stuff, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Uh, automated exploring at that point. Yeah, I do manually for a while. So the first one is looking for my settler where I'm going to settle my first city. And then where am I going to move uh, my warrior to get the best line of sight to see if, um, you know, if I see desert somewhere, I may not move them towards the desert because the chance of a luxury resource being there is pretty low. Uh, and so I move them the other direction to see if I get line of sight farther away and see if there's something there as well. Okay, hello, Zoe. Uh, um, I'm gonna continue on that point. So yeah, I, I mean, I move, I move, um, I, I move my warrior first just to see if I can, if there's a better place to settle. If I don't see a better place to settle right away, I just settle where I am. That's like usually the case. So Maya, yeah, I understand that you did something different because you need to focus on having the most cities within a six tile radius. When you're playing anybody else, even the Incans, like I moved my unit, I saw there was no mountains, and I'm like, screw it, I'm just this is where I am, and like I settled my city right away, and then immediately build a scout, so just so I know where to put my next city. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I do the same thing. So very first unit out of my first city is a scout. Yeah, one hundred percent. And then after that, I either go another scout. A slinger or straight to another settler and i'll build my second city right away depending like if i see barbarians i'm like okay i need to get another warrior here that they're really close if i don't see any barbarians and there's like i kind of my warrior and my scout kind of go out a little bit 
uh, as my settler is building. If I need to change it, I'll change it to a warrior or I just leave it on the settler and build my second city pretty much right away because I want to get my cities established as fast as I can. That That's my goal for the early game. Within the next, with the first 20 turns, I want at least two or three cities. Like try to get as, as quick as possible. Uh, Zo, since you just got here, why don't you, what do you, what do you do? What do you do? Uh, turn one. Uh, what are you looking for? What do you do normally? Uh, turn. Sorry, I'm like, guys, I have to get a haircut. So you can see. Is that the, is that, is that a, uh, does it look good? Quarantine cut? Does that look good? Uh, the wife did it? Is that a wife cut? No, no I didn't get a haircut. Oh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you got me. Um, you got me. What, what do I normally do? I have a pretty set, although it's changing up. It has been changing recently. It's been evolving because I used to do more scouts than I than I do. Uh, but I think that's because we used to play on uh, tiny instead of duels, so or maps are a bit bigger. Um, for me, information is always critical. Uh, so I will build between two and three scouts and uh, get them out there. And because I normally plan my pantheon to be religious settlement, uh, I know that I can be a little laxed on the settler right away but i have been building more early settlers i used to be very slow building my settler i used to wait until i had magnus i used to wait until i had the uh level two ability that made it that your city doesn't lower in uh, population when you build a new settler so since i've realized that really population like once you get to like the five six area you get back there pretty quick don't wait that long. Don't wait that long. Um, what what I'll do now for Magnus is I'll plan for when I have a future golden age. I'll try to coordinate and take the uh, the one that you can spend faith to get uh, settlers. Settlers, yeah. Oh, so okay. it, it, so now I try to have three to four cities as quickly as I can, but I've also gotten much better at not neglecting my military. So I usually go like uh, scout, scout, uh, slinger, worker. And then a warrior, and then a settler. So the, the 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 scouts are looking around. I want goody huts as soon as I can. I want to meet city states as soon as I can. I want to know where my enemies are as soon as I can. If I can get natural wonders, I'll do that as soon as I can. Because all of those early on mean that I'm getting my civics faster. I'm getting my technology faster. Even like meeting three city states, if you can do that right away, you're getting political philosophy faster. So I, I information's key, not to mention the fact that as you get your iron bronze working and so on and so forth, you'll reveal all the resources that you need. So yeah, usually two scouts right off the bat, a slinger and a worker. That's usually my my turn order. I normally do two scouts too, but like I like I usually go settler then another scout because I have one population and then I'll go another scout and then I send them. I usually send them opposite directions. So like my warrior will go max. I've only done this recently. Max eight tiles out and comes right back in case there's a barbarian encampment somewhere else I don't see, right? And he comes right back because like beyond those eight tiles, I'm like, I don't really care that much. That's too far. It's, I don't, it doesn't matter. So he'll, eight tiles back. And then the other two scouts basically go out there for a death trap. Like they're just going to die. And I know that and that's fine. So like they go out there to die, but they try to get as much information from my civilization as possible before they eventually die to a bar barbarian. Which is usually the case. Uh, yeah, I do. I do the same thing though. Increasingly, though, increasingly, I have been trying to get a monument as quickly as I can. 
that's just my strategy slowly been shifting into really respecting in a lot of ways culture is equivalent to science and uh, if you can get ahead in culture you can get your science to catch up with uh, with what you can do with culture not to mention that culture has other benefits early on your borders are expanding faster so that's that's also uh, useful for having lots of culture especially with if I can get religious settlements so I don't know a lot of the games that we've been playing I always show up and then I get attacked by like the barbarian hordes. And so I've been always been finding I've just been building a lot of warriors because um, I, I go and I hunt the uh, encampments. As soon as I see like the last game with the Mayans, I, I settled the second city and three horsemen showed up like out of nowhere. Um, and so I built um, a few warriors and I hunted for that encampment because it was just going to keep on sending um, uh, horsemen my way. Um, and so, and I had, uh, archers, horse archers as well, just like running around. Like I, I didn't see a single spearman in that game last game. I only saw like horsemen running around the first, like, is it because you always had a, you had a bunch of melee? Is that why? Who like myself? I mean, yeah. Um, I only had like one or two warriors at the time. So, but like, so they only build spearmen if you have a bunch of horsemen. No, no. Like usually the encampment has a spearman. Oh, right. That's why I'm at, okay. Right, but sometimes they don't. Like sometimes, like they'll send the spearmen off, and then they'll start spawning horsemen. Yeah. For like, okay. I don't know. Barbarians do weird things in this game. Um, <laughs> if you see a barbarian scout, kill it. Just kill it right away. Early on, you do want to kill those camps, and it's not like killing a camp. The process of killing a camp is going to trigger like three eurekas. You're going to get eurekas for killing barbarians. You're going to get eurekas for taking a camp. And then you're going to get, um, you know, three points. Error score. You get three error score. Your error score. Yeah. And, you know, you want to time your error score. Now, you know, something that I hope you guys are starting to learn is sometimes it's okay to have a dark age if you time it right, if you pace it right, uh, so that you can go into a heroic age as long as you're boom, 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 rapid fire. So sometimes you might even save a camp. You might be like, okay, well, let's uh, let this era come. And then, because honestly, you want that dark age earlier you don't want it once you've met other civilizations and risking because you lose your loyalty. loyalty yeah right um you don't you don't want that so and i think that last game i think i had like one or two regular ages i was golden that's imp- golden, I, that's impressive golden. that's not easy to do like at all like that's a very impressive it's timing and it's sometimes holding out on things so, for instance, something I did that game, um, I, I had the even the Caesarean. I think there was one point where I was like, I could have gotten uh, the Caesarean or whatever, uh, six with one. And I was like, no, I don't want it right now. I want it in three turns So because the Golden Age was about to hit. Mm. So, you know, you the, the points, I think they do carry over a little bit, but it's not, I don't think it's a significant amount. Um, so you, you need to time that, that once you get that golden age, cause it sucks. Once you get the golden age, you are, when you, when your gold bar is filled, you don't want to keep getting points. Yeah. Cause it just, you, you want to hold carry, off. It doesn't carry over. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't carry over. You want to hold off. Um, and, and that means that you have to time things, uh, to do that. Well, unless you want a heroic age, right? Like, unless you, have to go unless to you purposely age. want a dark age. And again, uh, if you if you are once you get more familiar with the game, a dark age can be a strategic thing. 
you're, you're still going to be earning era points. There are civics that you unlock, policy cards that you unlock during the Dark Ages that can be really awesome for uh, empire building, specifically for like domestic stuff. Um, you know, there's always it's always a trade off. But, uh, you know, I think even more you were looking last time, you're like, oh, wow, like, I think it, one of the, like, it was later on that you got your Dark yeah, Age, but I think uh, one of them was it? like, you got plus four food. Basically, it, it sounded like how you described it, it was like uh, class struggle, you know, in, in medieval times, uh, the bonus that you got from, I think it was a domestic trade route that you got extra I, food. I know about that one. It was a different one, though. It was like plus science or something, or you get minus great people points. That's ah, what it was. Yeah. It was minus. It's I'll like, oh, it big deal. I'll look it up. You keep talking. I'll look it up. Yeah. Uh, so timing timing those eras can be really, really important. Uh, but I didn't get a single heroic gauge. So I think you guys had a couple heroic ages. But I liked it when you guys had heroic ages. Oh, of course you did. I remember yeah. this one time, oh, this dude, he yeah. declared war on oh. me just as his golden age was rolling in. And I had, like, everything I needed for him to attack me he was so calm oh my oh his, his military's only 80 <laughs> and mine's like 200 and he was so confident oh, yeah. and he like oh, he like really buttered everyone up too uh leading up to that assault and then i destroyed him uh and i wish i i still regret pressing not pressing the attack but war gets it gets old and and i think you want you want some peace but like you did exactly what you always do when you after you lose a war you go insane growth and insane science, and and you can't let you do that. So I don't know. Next time I'll try to get Nystagmus to join in, to add a little fun. <laughs> so that card, that Dark Age card, card is called Collectivism. So farms, all your farms get plus one food, all your cities get plus two housing, and you get a hundred percent industrial zone adjacency bonuses. So basically, you just get more production, right? And I think I had a, I had a bunch of aqueducts, and so I had a bunch of industrial zones that were beside the aqueduct so it was plus three for basically every industrial zone that i had that would make it plus six and so that's why i thought it was worth it i think i got rid of it really quickly though because there was a better card that i wanted to use instead and it might have been it's good to try them out i never use them i never use I, to be honest i don't use dark age. i don't use, i don't usually go into a dark age but i don't often use the dark age policy cards um i usually find they're they're too restrictive for the, the benefit that they give you. The domestic trade route one is really good because if you know you're not going to build any settlers, which is, uh, it happens a lot in the game. You're like, okay, this period, you know, I'm going to focus on growth. And so I'm not going to build any settlers. That's the time where you just do a bunch of domestic trade routes to grow the populations of your cities and just get yourself super established. And then you can send them off again to get gold. But like you just during that part, you're like, okay, it's just internal trade routes, internal trade routes, let's build our economy. And then you go out and you, then get your gold. Gold can always, you can always get gold, you know, later. But like building up your city, you need to do that, I think, quickly. Now, one question I have for you guys, because you guys mentioned um, um, building a slinger or building slingers. What, 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 uh, what, what, uh, how versatile are those? Because I don't really build them all that often. Oh, they're awful. They're terrible, but they, you, if you can't, sorry, more, you, you, you started. I think, you I, I think, we, I'll, I think we were going to say the same thing. They're awful, but you only build them so you can get the Archer Eureka. <laughs> so there you, 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 you definitely, you want to get early game ancient era. You want to get as many of your Eurekas as you can. And I'm so specific about Eurekas that I will usually move between techs 
um, knowing because if you get a, if you can trigger a Eureka, you save yourself more or less three or four turns, right? So I'll usually have three or four on the go where they're all partly done and I'm just waiting for the Eureka to come up. So for the Slinger, because you're you're fighting your Barbarians, you're going to try and get that one Sling off. And then because Slingers are so dirt cheap, I'll usually try to build three so that when I do upgrade to Archer, that's going to trigger my Machinery um, Civic as well or, or technology as well for the Eureka. So, but I'm big about upgrading. I like getting, I love buying a bunch of, war, getting cheap warriors and then upgrading them to to the newer one if I can. So slingers, they are fairly terrible um, just because, you know, their counterpart, the warrior, can rip them apart pretty oh, good. Kill, destroy them. Oh but, gosh. you know, they're, they're, they're decent against scouts and in the beginning of the game, a barbarian scout's super annoying because your units have a hard time catching up to them. So the, even though the slingers only got a range of one, they just need to have that one movement when they're beside them to get off their sling. And hopefully they, you know, gain a level in the process. So I'll usually, because of how dirt cheap they are, I'll build uh, one or two slingers. I always aim to have three before I have archery. Uh, and that's just because, so right away, I'll upgrade them. Uh, it's a huge, big difference, you know, a slinger to an archer, like, doubles its goodness in all capacities, like, from strength to range, uh, just way more useful. Uh, and if it has a couple upgrades, all the better. So, yeah, I, I try. I try uh, slingers slingers and warriors. I'll usually do, like, two, at least two slingers and three warriors early on, because you, you don't want to get your pants, you know, caught with your pants down with barbarians, they have made barbarians better. Barbarians attack now. Barbarian, even scouts will attack your city early. Oh, I think Nasagris knows a thing or two about barbarians <laughs> attacking a city. Oh, oh yeah. And it's the only way you learn to protect your settlers. Okay, it's the only way you learn is when they're they're coming and storming in. Because it's yeah, you'll get your settler back likely, but that's a bunch of turns uh, setback. So, um. We ranked Mapuche for you, but obviously you have a way better insight than we do. So we're going to revisit that and let's hear your thoughts, Zoe, sure. about Mapuche. Okay. I was just thinking about this today, too, about when we when we finish our cycle and we, we get our tiers going, how I think some modifications I'd like us to make to tier, because I think the Mapuche are a good example of that. I think within Civ... You have to acknowledge that there are some sieves that are complex and and it and it makes it that they're harder to tier because you need to have a basic on some like the, the, the Chinese were the same. I think the Mapuche the same that you have to have a certain understanding of the game and how some of the numbers stack. So I like I said, when I first tried the Mapuche, I got my butt kicked and then I really looked at, well, what are they good at? And it's a culture and military. Um, and it's, you know, once I did that, it changed the nature of the game. Uh, waiting to, uh, before I started pumping out lots of units, waiting to build the barracks because of the stacking experience bonus. So I think once you, you have to understand how governors work. You have to understand how experience works. Okay, you have to understand how a barracks 
uh, sorry, um, a, an encampment, be it a barracks or a stable, is going to ultimately affect the unit that you build. And and if you understand that, I I actually think the Mapuche are up there in in uh, in B A or B. Um, if you understand, if okay, you, you understand gotta pick one. You gotta how pick they one. work, um, for me, I'd say A. I think in general B, uh, because you there's they're 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 complex. No, I can't. This is what this is why I'm actually, you know, after like later on, not today, I'm going to challenge us that we. I think with tears, you, it's not so simple as you can just say, oh, it's A B C. If you understand the complexity of the game, so there, like, so for instance, if you're a new player, uh, Rome is is probably S tier, right? If you're a new player, because you're going to, they have all these built-in mechanics that make them very easy to build empires, and they have, you know, get your swordsman right away, and you get there, you can win a game really easily uh, without a very little understanding of of Civ Six. But the Mapuche, you need to know more. Because uh, their main win is domination, they can do culture. They can do culture, but as we saw, like that was hard. It was really, really hard. And I was building wonders and and all of that stuff. I'll give them a B. I'll give them a B. But I think that if you're a good Civ player, it, it, that twenty five percent experience bonus is pretty big. That plus ten combat is pretty big. Um, versus a golden age, like my guys, like they level up so quickly, all of them level up so quickly. And that makes a big deal when you're on the offensive. And then I didn't get to properly utilize and I wish I did. And this was my bad. I declared peace too early. Uh, I think I actually had you on the run, had you on the run. I should have pushed. And even if it wasn't to take cities, even if it was just to raid and take tech and take gold and take uh, just to lower your loyalty and cause disruption and cause chaos. I was in a very good position to do that. Uh, and I regret not doing that, but you've got to understand loyalty and you have to understand how raiding works. And you have to understand how pillaging works. You have to understand those things. And if you don't, the Mapuche are a bit of a complex and not that great uh, sieve. It's not like, it's kind of a weird hot take though. Like if you know how the game works, they're awesome. Well, yeah, yeah, it's, but <laughs> it, it's because, but so there's there are civs. So like, you know, a, a civilization, say like, uh, randomly Australia, okay, um, they have these really easy bonuses that just any city you build, you're gonna be like, oh wow, that's a seven adjacency bonus. I'll build there. Very easy, okay. You you know, big numbers are good. So when you're building your districts, good. You're gonna. It's not. It's not that difficult, okay. Uh, the Mapuche require that you you need to understand a bunch of other components of the game. Uh, you need to understand how to distribute your governors. You need to understand which ones are best. Wouldn't that wouldn't that though work against them also? Because even if you understand the complexities of the game, because their complexities to make them strong require specific circumstances, you may not be able to do it. Maybe not, but like, so another example would be like Grand Colombia. You don't really need to know a whole lot about Civ to do good with Grand Colombia. Okay. They just, all of their units are better. You know, that's not, that's not difficult. That's not a difficult bonus to utilize. This was saying with China as well. You know, you have to know China, you have this very small, you have between the ancient and medieval times to build certain key wonders in a certain, and you should do it in a certain order. And if you can pull it off, then China snowballs. If you can't pull it off, 
it's very achievable. It's very achievable, but you have to know how to manage your governors. You have to know how to manage your workers. You have to. So there is a certain skill level required. And that's why I and we could probably have a whole show on this challenging the tier system in general, looking at uh, that. Sometimes you do have to look at how complex is this? How much of the game do you need to know to do well? We have questions often from a new player. Oh, what's you know, do you guys just today we had a question uh, from a from a I'm guessing a young gentleman who wanted to know about uh, the t- do we tier things and what's good for starting player a, a good sieve for a starting player. So a good sieve for a starting player might not be a good sieve for an experienced player that that understands all of well, these nuances. If it's a good sieve for a starting player, then the logic would dictate that the experienced player would play just as well, right? Well, he, let me throw an example of you where that maybe not may not be true. Scythia would be a great for a new player. Scythia would not be good for an experienced player. Okay, so Scythia, like, yeah, new play. Oh, you you build a horse and you get two. Okay, that's an easy, cool ability. I'll, you'll probably do well, uh, especially at lower levels against an AI. You'll probably do well with Scythia. All right, for a more experienced player though, Scythia has a small window. Yeah, they'll get those units if you don't know how to work your, your the like later on in the game those abilities so don't matter I, for I'm not so I, I'm asking just for clarification because I'm not really getting what you're saying because how how would a beginner be able to win because like, the way you're wording it it seems like a beginner would be able to win easier with Scythia than an experienced player which I don't get I'm saying that so a beginner is not likely playing experienced players, right? Yeah. A, a beginner is likely playing the computer. Okay, so okay, so you're, so, you're like playing all these conditions on it. Then <laughs> I'm I'm saying I'm, I'm saying Stagmus on this one. <laughs> I'm saying that. Well, then I, I'm sorry, I'm not explaining it right. I think that there are civilizations that, if you understand the nuance on the game, they're fantastic, and there's civilizations that you don't have to understand anything. But the part and the they're point, fantastic. but the whole point of the tier list is. How easy is it for you to win the game, regardless of your experience with this with the game, right? So, like, the re- a civilization. How easy is it for who to win the game? No, but yeah, that's, that's how easy is it for who to win the a game? Beginner, an intermediate. Is it a beginner to win the game, or how easy is it for somebody who knows what they're doing to win the game? But yeah, the person point. who knows what they're doing would be able to win with would be able to win with any civilization. That's the point. Ah, but someone who knows what they're doing. So, say with Korea. You've got kind of a one-horse wonder. You got to go the science so, victory, right? So how about this, right? How about when you say like, if you can do all this stuff, they'll awesome, great, right? If the stars align, but my argument would be then that makes them a lower tier list because a lot of things have to happen for them to be powerful. So Mapuchi, it's not necessarily the stars align. It's just so I wanted to touch on this earlier when you commented on the adjacency bonuses and how it's it's a visual like yes, bigger number that's better. Yeah, a new player can understand that. However, experience plus experience per battle, that is not really shown, right? Mm-hmm. You see plus seven experience instead of plus five, but you don't understand how maybe how much experience you should be getting, right? See, I think you get four or three experience per battle, but with Mapuchi, you get like seven. I was seven, getting five. Right? Yeah. I but was you don't realize this. You don't realize this, right? You don't realize that your barracks that you built and where this unit came from is what's causing this unit to upgrade faster right a beginner might not understand that whereas an experienced player will understand oh it's because like i can go to battle with him more because he gets way more experience i'm just levels up i'm way just faster i'm just simply saying faster. that like the tier list is a simplified matter anyway right so any simplification has drawbacks that's 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 the case with anything 
with anything you tr- put into a list to try to simplify it for people to kind of or, and, and, in order and to I organize think that's things, sort of what right? I'm challenging right now. But I think that's what I'm. But challenging. the argument would be that if you say like with asterisks all over the place, right? Then that's defeating the purpose of the tier list, right? It's not asterisks. Okay, so for instance, the Koreans are very effective civ. They're very good at science. They're very good at what what they do. Okay, and they they can rush to their guys. All right, but that's pretty much their main thing is science. Any other sieve, if you know that, all right, and they're they are a great sieve. They're very easy to use. Okay, it's in fact I'd say like if you're just starting the game, they're probably the go-to sieve. Okay, because you're gonna you're gonna do very well. But if I'm a decent player and I know Korea, I I know okay, I'm just gonna keep destroying your encampments. What if someone played Germany, and a player of comparable skill played the Mapuche, who would win? So. Against Germany, and uh, if they were if they were comparable skill, I think that's the point, right? We're not Germany we're is like S comparable skill. is all all around good. You don't need to be good at Civ to be good with Germany, okay? Like Germany is hard to be bad with. Um, they're they're just a very well rounded. They're not super nuanced. So in that case, right, the tier list serves a purpose then, right? Because if you're talking about people of comparable, you could take anyone from like. You know, same with any real-time strategy game. Like, I used to play StarCraft, right? Um, and, you know, it, you can say, like, oh, this is able to do if you have a high skill level. But the idea would be you have to compare people of comparable skill level. And the whole point of the tier list is kind of telling you from comparable skill levels, which civilization can lead to victory, has easier paths to victory, basically. Not that they... Sure, nothing's impossible, sure. You want right? to look at that, too. Nothing's Absolutely. impossible. But, you know, like you said with China... Everything like you know these things. Certain things have to align. If they don't, then it badly damages the civilization's ability to win. Right. So China, but China is an interesting example of they can go after any civ victory. They're they're any one of them. They can do any any one of them. They can achieve if they. But it, the first three eras are very critical mm-hmm. for them to do that. But if they if they do it right, there's no civ victory that that they can't do. Where someone like the Koreans. You're pretty much doing science victory, okay? Maybe you can do domination because because your science is, is higher, uh, but they're they're not they're not going to be as versatile. But I think China and most tier lists is like C. I think it's down there, uh, and I don't know if that's right. Like I think if you if you know what you're doing, I don't know. I guess uh, my challenge too to tiering in general is if you know what you're doing, all of the civs can do their thing. There are certain civs though that for some reason like Skiffia. I don't know how it is now, but it used to be like this terribly feared sieve. But when you look at them, it's like, well, once they're done their thing, that's it. They don't really have any abilities that are going to take them throughout the game. Um, and, and and they're not very versatile. Um, they're they're a one horse wonder, like like literally that's <laughs> two horse what wonder. they do. The two horse wonder. If you're having players of comparable skill play each other, meaning, like you said, like if someone knows the game well, if they're playing against other people who know the game well, not only do they know their civilization's strengths, they know your civilization's weaknesses. And so sure. in that situation, sure. who is in a better position to win, right? Is Can I damage, if I'm playing Germany, can I damage China's ability to win more than they can damage my ability to win? That's the, that's the question of the tier list, right? I would say that this tier list is for people who have one week of practice for one civilization <laughs> and eventually come together with a couple of buds <laughs> and play against each other and we have an opinion on where this where so, they rank. 
so, and I guess, and then I guess, so I guess what I'm saying, Nystagnus, is leading up to how we, how we tier things, I think we should, so say we gave, we had three categories. Say we had complexity, diversity, like, um, uh, not, not diversity, um, versatility, um, and, uh, I don't know, spike, numbers. Power spike. Okay. Say. Power, sure. Okay, say that those were the three. And then we gave each of those a ranking, okay? And a high complexity will ultimately end up lowering your your t- overall tier score. Because if you're too complex, there's too many things that you need to know about them, right? So I, I guess I'm saying that, like, leading up, it's 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 difficult to just say, oh, I'm going to give it a letter. Where I there, there are these nuances, and I think you have to look at all sieves that way. Uh, and I think that, yeah, you can have an overall score, but then you need to encourage people to look at, well, where did that score come from? And if we had a simple thing like that, that there's three sort of basic things that we look at and we give them a, a say a rating from one to five. And then overall, you have a rating between three and 15. And that determines whether you're S tier or, you know, Z tier. Yeah. Uh, sure. I think we do that when uh, we explain why we're putting them where they're going. Right. Why don't we yeah. do that in our second pass, basically? Through oh, yeah. The well, yeah. This, then we is, can, and like, this is what I'm really saying. Nothing, it's nothing, there's nothing wrong with anything you're saying right now. Everything you're saying is apt. All right. Everything you're saying is, is completely apt. If you know what you're doing, if you don't know what you're doing, I, I, I get that. I just think to get to that, because um, if, you, if you do know what you're doing, some civs tiers are they're going to be higher. If you don't know what you're doing, some civ tiers are going, going to be lower. And then there's some civs it doesn't matter. If you know what you're doing, you're not going to be doing as long as you have the basic fundamentals of Civ. And I think the Romans are an example of that. I think the Germans are an example of that. I think Australia is an example of that. Uh, these Civs are not super complicated uh, to figure out. I, I Okay, so that was a good conversation, but I, I think I, I definitely agree that B. maybe having like a one to five scale on three categories, the second pass through through this tier yeah, list yeah. of explaining, we'll that'll be really, really good. Um, let's though move on to the reveal of the next Civ show. Zoe, since you've won, why don't you take it away and tell us at least what the theme and who you are going to be playing uh, next week? Absolutely. And I want to give a shout out to uh, Calden Bates, um, who basically guessed it. Uh, good work. You know, I know these these silhouettes are really tricky to. Uh, to understand um but uh he whoever he or she or it figured it out um they figured it out i guess is the the right uh, way to go about it um so i as you guys know the winner gets to sort of choose the format and they can be wacky i know moy's got some crazy he's probably going to do like modern era world war ii nations whoa, or some whoa, whoa, crazy whoa, whoa, thing whoa. like that i don't know um so for for me i kind of went with the same thing theme i went with last time where chose two and then um and then chosen one to revisit because uh they're new uh so for this one uh I, what did i call it i think uh last, last of, of the, the greats last of the last of, no i said the greats last, oh, last of the greats oh, just my bad just, last of the greats <laughs> last of the greats uh, because we have seven civilizations that we have not yet utilized. Uh, and I was trying my best. I was trying to connect these. And the funny thing is, two of the civs I could connect. Um, the third one that I was trying to connect to it as well was Arabia. Before I said, okay, let's just revisit one of the civs. I was like, oh, well, how does Arabia connect to these two others? But interestingly enough, two of these civs are actually connected. Uh, and those two civilizations are 
Whoa. Poland and oh, pick am one. I revealing? Pick one. Pick one. Am I revealing? Your own. Am sake. I revealing? Your, just mine. You're revealing. Well, I said it. You're revealing yours. I said it. So okay. Just say who Fine. you're gonna mine. be, please. So <laughs> I will be. I will be feet. I will be Poland uh, this round. Javina. Uh, Javina. Javina. Javiga. 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 I fell in love with Poland oh, so quickly. So quickly, I fell in love with Javina. Um, so I will be Poland, who has a connection to one of these other civilizations I was surprised to discover. Um, so I will be representing Poland, and they uh, are an, a very interesting civ. Uh, we're just doing an unveil right now. I'm not talking about Poland. Yeah, let's just, we'll, we'll do it a little bit after. So okay. uh, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that has a relation to who I'm playing. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I'll go next since that would be the the, the logical thing, and then you can go into how they're related because I have no idea. So sure. I will be playing one of my favorite civilizations, uh, just because you know I can focus on my thing, and if something happens, I can react to it very quickly. And that is the Australians and John, led by John Curtin. I literally know nothing about this guy. Uh, I'll probably World War Two, I believe. Oh, okay, I'll think, learn more about I think him he was. by Sunday. So, how how are John Curtin and Queen Jadwiga related? What happened? So, so uh, essentially, there are there are almost two hundred thousand uh, Australians that are of Polish descent, and throughout um, throughout the uh, they're like one of the first settlers there. So the first Polish citizen, uh, it was 10 Polish citizens back in 1696. Um, and in the early 1900s, um, they, they, they ended up, um, uh, it was basically they helped each other a lot during uh, world war two. So they're, yeah, they're um, both around world war they, two. And they so they have, yeah. Around. So yeah. they, yeah, they, they had, and I couldn't find so much about uh, connecting these two to Saudi Arabia. Uh, so we didn't go that way. Um, but so I, I'll, I'll talk, go ahead. Let's, let's do the last reveal before <laughs> I, you spoil it again for the third week in a row. Maybe. So yeah. <laughs> let's, uh, Nystagius, why don't you reveal who you are playing? For the second time on the Civ show, I will be, uh, leading Grand Columbia, uh, under Simon Boulevard, um, uh, in the, the next week's, uh, pot, uh, game, um, in this kind of wacky game that we got going. So, um, I'll be re- I'll be revisiting with them. Uh, I had a lot of fun with them. I didn't get to use them as well as I had last time, so I'm looking forward to lead the Lineros to victory um, next week. Yeah, oh, I thought it was I thought Moy played them last, but yeah, that's no, right. Moy was Brazil. That was Brazil. I so Brazil. yes, I. So today, I think these are three civilizations you'd probably almost never expect to see on the map together, like you know, <laughs> Australia, Poland. Colombia. These are like all in completely different sections of the world. The interesting thing, though, about Australia and Poland is they do have some similarities. We both utilize culture bombs. Mine are a bit more aggressive than oh, yours because yeah. uh, oh, yeah. mine can like take over territory. Mine can too. It's, there's just limitations of what how culture bombs work. So it can't take territory more than three tiles away. It can't take territory that's beside a city. It can't take territory that's already established by a district. Those are the right. criteria. And mine can, um, when I do it, I can convert cities. Yeah, uh, that, which is, that part which is, is kind of crazy. Is, which is interesting. Um, 
and then Poland has a they're flying. I almost said flying winged hussar. They're they're winged hussar. Wow, what a unit! What a unit! Uh, right? It's it's so crazy. It's 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 basically a super knight because uh, you get it in the medi- medieval era. Um, and w- when it attacks, if you deal more damage to the unit that then then it deals to you you move it i know it's so crazy you move it it's so and, cool and so it knocks it knocks them out of forts uh if there was a settler under them the settler's yours now if there was a worker under them the worker's yours now because you can just move in um i i'm not sure if they kick them out of districts though um but they they definitely uh and then they can you can do sneaky things like where you maneuver and knock them back into your lines, you know? So, like, basically, for the Polish, uh, all, everyone else's units are hockey pucks, and they're able to to pass them around. And if they don't move them, so if there's a unit behind it, even if it's a, their own friendly unit, they take more damage. They take more damage. Oh, uh, so they're better than knights. You can get them relatively quickly. Uh, so, yeah, it's... Uh, this, this sieve is, like because my new thing that I'm really loving is culture. And this is a civ economy or sorry, a civ, a uh, culture economy, civilization. Um, their their faith. No. Yeah. They got faith in there too. And you can't, and faith more so just helps them out. They, and they, and they can, uh, you know, they can definitely utilize that faith, but the way they use faith, they can do all sorts of different things with it. Doesn't that, it's more of a, a support. Um, so they, they can do faith for victory. They can do military, they can do, uh, culture. Um, but yeah, they're like, even you would love this, uh, their marketplace, uh, special ability, the Svendi Vun, I don't know, I, I'll learn how to pronounce it by Sunday. Um, it allows that your, your international trade routes, the city that starts them gets plus two production, I believe as a bonus. And your domestic trade routes, you get a plus four gold. So You're gonna love domestic trade routes. Oh, all of a sudden. I, 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 I like domestic <laughs> trade routes. I'm not against domestic trade routes. So, um, I don't, I don't know if they're as versatile as Australia, um, given all of your crazy district bonuses. But um, you know, they are interesting. I'm gonna need to learn how to use forts um, because they're forts drop culture bombs. Yeah, I had a couple of forts last game ready for you to come to me, and you never did. You never did. And I never came. I never came to visit you. Well, with these guys, if you've got forts, I'm going to knock you out of them and take them over. Well, I'm not going to build forts if that's the case. Or if they do, they're going to have pikemen because, like, I yeah, obviously I'm not, I'm not going to be stupid Pike, about it. Pikemen got nothing on Pike these guys. Okay, we're talking, whatever. We're talking, yeah, that's way too late. That's way too late. pretty late. Way yeah. too late. Uh, these winged hussars, you can get them pretty quickly uh, if you if you if you play it right. So uh, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, I've I, you know the test game. By the way, Terra is a weird map. It's cool. I like it, but it's like the continent is a the ones that I've seen so far are weird shaped continents. It's not like Pangaea where it's just this big blob. It's like this snaking strange. Um, so so we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how I do against. Uh, Grand Colombia and its insane military and 
you know, Australia. By the way, because I like to practice against the Sibs when I'm playing. Every time I've practiced, Australia is so aggressive. Really? Every, like, right away when I meet them, they're denouncing me. And, and I'm just like, what the heck is that? That's like, like Netherlands, Like, two man. turns later, two turns later, denouncing you. Why? They just don't like you. <laughs> I felt that was, I took that personally. I thought, I thought he was like me. Like, he's like, low, Lorenzo. <laughs> Maybe the game's trying to tell you something, man. Yeah. It's trying to tell me something. It's trying to tell me something. But I'm looking forward to this interesting mix of money, faith, and culture. Yeah, I'm looking forward to Australia, too. I was tempted to pick Poland because of the Wayne Tassar because it sounded like such a cool unit. Like, mm-hmm. man, that would be a lot of fun. But I didn't want to play against Australia with their bonus. 100% production bonus in all of their cities when they are the victim of a war. So when you declare war on me... I get the bonus. If I declare war on you, I don't get the bonus. So they're they're a defensive sieve in that respect. And you know, maybe I'm not going to be the aggressor this game, but like maybe I also try to build as much science or as much culture where I threaten you guys where you have to come to me to war. Like you have to. And like that's what we have to do. So I'll be able to react hopefully when you do guys when you guys do declare war on me, I'll be able to react and build a military to defend and we'll just kind of see what happens from there. I do want to comment. Um, I I did something new this week. It was called the Civ6 Challenge League. It's it's a Reddit community, r slash Civ6 Challenge League. I played Grand Colombia, right? So I, I, I finally like played a full game of them. Holy smokes, these guys are absolutely nuts. Here's the thing, okay? I want to make I want to make one comment on Grand Columbia. It's not the plus one movement that makes them incredibly amazing, even though that is incredibly amazing. It's not the fact that, you know, uh, Lanero's are an incredible unit that stack on each other. It's not the fact that they have this amazing, unique great general that stacks with a regular great general and heals all of the Lanero's. No, 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 no. Those are all incredible. But the biggest game-breaking thing that they have easily, the fact that you can promote and still move and still attack on the same turn is just the most broken thing I've ever, I've ever experienced in Civilization. There's nothing like it. Oh, it makes me, it just, it just, it, I felt like I was cheating. I felt like I was cheating when I was playing. I don't know. That, that That's my opinion on Grand Columbia. It's ridiculous. That's it, too many good things, man. <laughs> my God. Nystagmus, I hope you win. <laughs> I hope He's due. You He's due. You're due, man. And we're have playing on a map where, you, like, we're all on the same starting continent. We're playing on Terra, by the way. Um, I I have high hopes for you, buddy. I wish you luck. Yeah, don't put pressure on me, man. <laughs> you're 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 gonna be great. You're gonna be great. So this is all the time we have for today. Uh, thank you guys for coming to the podcast. Really, really appreciate it. Be sure to uh, leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts if you can. That'd be great. Also, uh, follow us on all of our social medias. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We're on YouTube. All of those at the Civ Show. And we don't pay for any marketing. So if you can go ahead and word of mouth us to your friends if they like civilization as well that would be fantastic because that is going to be our way to grow is what we trust our community to tell the good word of the civ show so if you could do that that would be fantastic you you can join the conversation too on discord uh tips advice good community people talking to each other uh new players especially uh we're all uh, we've all been there it's really exciting getting into civ 
so we're 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 there to help you uh, figure stuff out, uh, especially as like this is a, an exciting time for Civ. There's all sorts of uh, awesome stuff going on, and we haven't even had a session yet where we discuss what's the new district going to be uh, coming out in <laughs> oh, July, yeah, right? And I that's totally that'll be we'll that. save it. We got we got we still got some time. Uh, also, just follow the Discord because very soon we're going to be putting a call out. Uh, we want to get some challengers from the community, uh, see if we can put together a game where you're going to be the guest uh, on on uh, the Civ show, sort of, uh, <laughs> as our as our fancy AI. Human's the best AI. Um, so absolutely give us give us a shout out. We're looking for a, a, a big community game. Uh, just trying to get as many people as we can. Uh, that'll be a lot of fun. But yeah, let's 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 do that, uh, and we'll see you on Sunday for the next episode of the Civ Show. Where we, we will be playing the last of the great Civs. Last of the greats. Last of the greats. We'll see you then. See ya. Have a good one.